How are we doing this morning? Good, good. Uh, you may notice the chairs are a little different here this morning. We had a wedding here yesterday. Great celebration of, uh, of Christ and the church and of a man and a woman united together before the Lord uh, in a permanent bond. Honor him and to serve one another and sacrifice for each other for the rest of their lives. It was a, a neat day. Um, uh, Kitty Smith and Fred Brockway got married, and I don't think they made it in this morning. They're off to their honeymoon, evidently. So, um, But we've got some old friends that are here visiting with us. Uh, Dale and Chrissy are, are back from Texas for a little bit. Uh, they're coming at the right time of year after the Arctic vortex has subsided for now. Uh, and uh, we've got some new friends here this morning as well. Be sure to greet them. Um, it's a privilege always to be able to stand before you and to be allowed to bring God's Word to His people. And we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 6 and part of chapter 7 today, but before we head there, I want to pray with you. So let's, let's bow and pray together, okay? God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the privilege that it is to study it and to proclaim it and to put it in our hearts that it might change our lives. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed use your word to change our lives from the inside out here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you make your way into the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 6 there, let me ask a quick question. Even the youngest people in this room ought to be able to answer this question. So let me just ask, who is the main character of the book of Exodus? Who? God is the main character, right. A lot of people say Moses, and a lot of people are wrong. Uh, no, uh, no, seriously though, uh, God is the main character. A lot of people say Moses because he appears in the story a great deal, and his words and his actions are often described, but the main character is not Moses, it's God. Because God is the one around whom all the action of the story revolves. And He is the one who initiates everything that occurs in the whole book. And at this point in the story, Moses' problem is, is that he, like a lot of us, is confused about who the main actor is in the drama. Moses thinks it's him. He thinks he is playing the lead role with God somehow as best supporting actor who's helping him out on what he's doing before Pharaoh. But actually, God is not just the playwright. He's also the lead character, and Moses is the supporting actor. And that confusion has put him into a position where, as we saw last week, he, is, he comes to the end of chapter 5, and he comes to God, and everything has backfired. What he thought was going to happen didn't happen. And so he comes to God despairing and disappointed and depressed. And this is what he says. He says, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Now that is a robust, pointed set of questions to ask the Lord. And what do you think God's answer is going to be? And we're going to look at it. 
He gives it to us in chapter 6. So if you've got your Bible there, Exodus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, God begins to give his answer. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to, a- to give to I- Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, several things are worth noticing in these verses. First, first thing to see is look at how God answers Moses he doesn't rebuke Moses and maybe you would expect that but he does not rebuke Moses for his question Moses is terribly disappointed with how things went I went before the people I did the miracles and everything was great and everybody believed and worshiped God and then I went into Pharaoh and he mocked me and made fun of me and sent me out of his presence Let Israel go? Who do you think you are? I don't know this God you worship. And then Pharaoh makes it worse for all the people of Israel. He increases the burden of their slavery even more, making them make the same number of bricks, only we're not going to provide you with any of the resources to make them. You've got to get that yourself too. And all the Israelite foremen are angry with Moses and Aaron because they should have just shut up and not talked to Pharaoh at all and then we would not at least we wouldn't be worse off than we were Moses is in despair and he goes to God and complains and God doesn't rebuke him for complaining but he does say this he's very patient and he says starts off now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh Because God is being not just patient and gracious with Moses here. He has been being patient and gracious with Pharaoh as well. 
not just with Moses, but also with Pharaoh. God is patient and gracious, and he's given Pharaoh one last opportunity, one last chance to, of his own, decide to do what he ought to do, which is release the people of Israel from slavery. And if he doesn't do it voluntarily, God is going to make him do it. He's going to force him to do it. And God's patience with him is finally exhausted. And he says, therefore, now, since you won't let Israel depart in peace, now you're going to see what's going to happen. Judgment is going to come. And he says, with a mighty hand, he's going to send them out. And with a strong hand, he's going to drive them out of his land. In other words, Pharaoh is going to be eager to be rid of you because of what I'm going to do. And a second thing not to miss is God's repeated word. Four times in these verses, God says, I am the Lord. Four times. I am the Lord. And if, you've got a, and if you look at your Bible closely, you'll see that the word Lord there is, is a large uh, letter L followed by three smaller, still all capital letters, O-R-D. And that in Hebrew, that they've, what they've done there is in English tried to designate for us who are not Hebrew readers that, that the Hebrew word there is the divine name Yahweh. And it's the name by which God identified himself at the burning bush. He said that I am who I am. And the word Yahweh is connected to the Hebrew word for existence. The word Hava, which means to be. He says, I am the God who exists. And he refers to himself over and over and over in the book of Exodus as the Lord or as Yahweh, in other words. It's God's covenant name. It's the name that, by which God wants to be known by all the people of Israel who first established his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and who extends that covenant to all of their descendants who are part of his chosen people. And God says, look at these verses here, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Verse 6, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Verse 7, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. And verse 8, I am the Lord. What's the point of all this repetition? What point is God making? Well, if you look at these things, what, what God is trying to do is to make sure that the lesson of the burning bush sinks in for Moses. See, Moses met Yahweh at the burning bush, and he gave him his name. But he says, I'm going to clarify what that name means, that I am the covenant God, the redeeming God, the saving God, the God who acts with power on behalf of his people. And Moses, you don't understand this yet, but you need to get this. That my name doesn't simply denote who I am, but it's connected with my character and connected with what kind of God I am. Moses knew who to worship, but he didn't quite believe yet in God's power to deliver his people. And so God repeats four times, I am Yahweh. 
I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as mighty God, which in Hebrew is El Shaddai. You remember, if you, this dates me some, but if you remember back to the 80s, Amy Grant had a song, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Kirkana Adonai, right? You learn some Hebrew, all right? The mighty God. He says, I appeared to them as the mighty God. I appeared to them, and he, they knew his name. But they didn't understand all the implications either because God had not delivered for them in the way He was going to deliver the whole nation here. He says they lived in the land as sojourners, and they did. If you remember, at the end of Abraham's life, he's got these great promises, and God tells him, Abraham, walk through the land, and every place you walk, every place the sole of your foot touches is going to be yours. At the end of Abraham's life, he negotiates with the sons of Heth, the Horites, and, or the Hittites, rather. And he says, he says to them, I want to buy this field so I can bury my wife, Sarah, who's died. And he buries her in this cave. They make him buy the whole field just so he can have a tomb for his wife. And at the end of his life, he lives to be 130-something years old. And all that he owns of the land God has promised is this cave and this field attached to it. And then Isaac, his son, receives the same promises from God. You're going to be a great nation, and I'm going to give you this land, and blessing to the whole earth is going to come through you. And you read this long narrative about how Isaac is having to fight just for the rights to water his sheep. He doesn't have the land yet. And then Jacob has to flee for his life because his brother Esau hates him and is consoling himself with the thought of killing him. And he has to go off to, out of the land back to Laban who cheats him out of everything he can possibly do for 20-some years. But he nevertheless is blessed by God. He's able to come back into the land, re, be reunited with Esau. And he has, at the end of his life, another field outside of a city of, called Shechem and a well there. And then, because famine hits, they have to leave the land and go down and dwell with Joseph in Egypt. And that results, by the way, in the whole nation going into slavery. And God says, they knew me as the mighty God. But they didn't really understand what my name, the Lord, really means. And Moses you're going to know that I am the Lord. And you're going to see me be the, the saving God, the redeeming God, the God of deliverance, the God not just of power, but the God of greatness and the God of grace, the God of redemption and salvation. And you're going to know who I am. And another way of saying this is to say to he's, what God is saying to Moses is this. Moses, don't worry. You are not in charge. I am the Lord. And this is not all on you. You are not the main character in this drama. I am. And I am the great I am. And I am going to deliver. And I'm going to redeem because that is who I am. 
I am the God who delivers his people from slavery. And Moses carries that message back to his people, and I'm sure he's pumped up. He goes to the, well, okay, God, we got the pep talk. We're off to talk to the nation again. And he goes and he gathers everybody up, and he tells them what God said. And they go, on that. They reject Moses' word, the Bible says, because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They go, yeah, well, you told that story before. See what it got us? Worse. So Moses is dejected again. And he goes back to God with, and bringing up an old excuse, and he says, God... I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. In other words, he's saying, I don't know how to talk, evidently. Remember, that was one of the excuses he gave for why God shouldn't send him from the desert of Midian into Egypt in the first place. In other words, he's saying to God, didn't I tell you this was a bad idea? Didn't I tell you I was the wrong guy? And God says, Look at verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel, about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. In other words, Moses, I know what you said, but your job is still the same. You are the guy that I call. Now this next section here confuses a lot of people. Um, it also bores a lot of people. Very often genealogies are the places where Bible reading plans go to die. Uh, but we're going to walk through it because there is some significance here. Um some things that God is wanting to tell us. So look, look with me at verses 14 there through verse 30. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, and the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shemai by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari. Mali and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years, the sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Elazaphon, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab and the sister of Nachshon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, 
the sons of Korah, Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the son, these are the clans of the Korahites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Now, a lot of people go to sleep right about the time you start reading a genealogy in the Scripture. But every one of them is included in the Scripture to make a point. And the genealogy in this section serves to introduce first Moses and more specifically Aaron and tell us more about him. When we first meet Moses, after all, we're not told who his parents even are. We're just told that a Levite woman married a woman of his tribe and they had a child and they put him in a basket. We don't get a lot of introduction. We don't meet, we don't find out that he has a brother, Aaron, until chapter 4. But that's all the background that we get, that just that there's this guy named Aaron and he's his brother. And so this genealogy serves to give us some background and tell us what family they came from. It's like a little sidebar. Now let me tell you about Moses and Aaron and where they come from and who they are. Because you may not know. And the idea was that you were, you were to pass on the knowledge of the word of God from generation to generation. Remember Deuteronomy 6. You know, that this book of the law is to be in your heart and on your lips and on, the, on your forehead and on your hands and on the doorposts of your houses. And you're to talk about these things when you rise up and when you lie down and, all of, and when you walk along the road. And as you go through life, that the word of God is to be interwoven into it. By the way, still a great idea. And they, one of the things that is important is to know where these people came from. And it begins in the standard way as a listing of the sons of Jacob. And you start with the oldest, Reuben, and then uh, and all of the clans that descend from him, and then Simeon, then second son, and all the clans that descend from him, and then Levi, the third son. Okay, well, now we're to Levi, and you think, well, this is going to continue on, except that it doesn't. It breaks down from there, and it goes all the way to the end, to Phineas. And Phineas, I believe, is probably the high priest at the time Exodus is written, which is at the end of the Exodus period, just before Moses dies, I think, is when the the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are written. Just before Moses passes from the scene, he writes these books so that the new generation, a generation that didn't experience all of this stuff, but who grew up in the desert uh, and entered the land under Joshua to identify these men, Aaron and Moses, who are about to die as real historic people and to tell the nation more about them 
and to explain who Aaron is primarily and why he would be a good helper, why he would make a a reasonable assistant for Moses. Because he just appears in the story. Well, you got a brother, we'll have him speak for you. Aaron later becomes high priest of the nation of Israel, and then his son Eleazar after him, and then his son Phinehas after him becomes high, they all become high priests. Well, where do these guys come from? What's their background? Where, where, where are they descended from? And this section then closes like it was introduced with God telling Moses and Aaron to go to Pharaoh and Moses complaining about having uncircumcised lips and being unable to speak well. And it's a literary device designed to circle us back from the backstory of these men and move the story forward. So you get this, it's called inclusio. You've got this little chapter, and then you've got your genealogy, and then the other side of it, the repeated event. So that, oh yeah, remember where we were in the story. And then off we go into the story further again. But you're designed through this genealogy to see who these guys are. And if you're an Israelite, you go, okay, now I, now I understand where they come from and what family they're part of. And the fact that they are Levites matters because Levi is the priestly tribe. Levi is the tribe who was given no inheritance in the land because of their actions at Shechem. And they're made priests. And so these guys are, are fit to lead the nation. And the Lord said to Moses, chapter 7, verse 1, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch my hand out against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Well, since Moses is digging up some old excuses, God repeats his earlier instructions and promises to Moses. He says, you tell Aaron what to say, and he'll speak to Pharaoh for you. And remember, by the way, I told you that Pharaoh was not going to listen. I told you that already. Because I'm going to sovereignly harden his heart until I reveal my glory to the entire nation, not just of Israel, but of Egypt, fully and finally. And this is all part of my plan, Moses, so trust me. Deliverance is coming, but not from you, from me. And look at two other important details. Earlier, God had told Moses, I'm going to make you like God to Aaron. And you'll be my prophet, in a sense, to Aaron. And then Aaron will be the prophet to the people and to, and to, um, uh, and to uh, Pharaoh. But he says, now I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh. That's a different thing. 
And I think what he's saying is this, is that, Moses, I'm going to be with you in such a way, and my power is going to flow through you in such a way that Pharaoh will understand that there is a God in Egypt, and it isn't him. Because Pharaoh is very confused on this point. I think he believed his own press clippings. You know, the, the Egyptian mythology was such that the Pharaoh was believed to be the descendant directly uh, through, a, through a direct bloodline of the sun god, Ra. Uh, or sometimes they'd pick another god that they believed they were descended of. And so you've got, as an example, you've got Tutmosis, and who, who, whose name literally means born of Toth who is believed to be the god of medicine and the god of healing and so forth. And you've got Ramses. Have you ever heard of him? Okay, Ramses the first and Ramses the second, born of Ra. Right? And these guys believed and they taught everybody to believe that they were not just a great king who ruled by right of the gods like Louis XIV, but that they were actually gods reigning from the throne. And they believed that the gods of Egypt, other than them, were also these just great, powerful deities who could do things. And in just a little bit, Pharaoh is going to figure out that there is one God. And it isn't him, and it isn't any of the gods that they worship at all these temples that they've built all through the land. Because at Moses' word, plagues will fall, and at Moses' word, they will stop. Because Moses' God is the God in Egypt, just as he is God over his people. Pharaoh's going to see it. And don't miss the additional purpose for all this, too. Remember, all through the earlier part of chapter 6, God says, and so you will know that I am the Lord. And so that the nation will know that I am the Lord. And by the way, Moses, I am the Lord. Look at what he says, though, to Moses here. I'm going to do all these things, so look at it. Look at it here. What does it say? Verse 5. The Egyptians shall know. What? That I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. He says, I'm going to do these acts of power and judgment so that not just so that Israel will know, but so that even the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. God is concerned to make himself known, not just to his own people, but to wicked people who don't even believe in him. And by the way, that's going to be effective there are going to be people at the Exodus who are not Israelites who go out with the nation of Israel. The Bible says here in Exodus that, the, that a mixed multitude, in other words, some other folks who were not Israelites, went out with them because they saw that God is God. They saw that He is the Lord, that Yahweh reigns, over the whole earth and all of creation, and they went, I don't know what I've been doing up to now, but that God is the God of love and covenant and power, and that's the God 
I'm going to follow. And here's the point. This is the reason all this is important. It's so that we read all this. This is Why did we have the book of Exodus? Why do we have this? So that we would know He is the Lord. So that we would know He is the Lord. That He is the God who keeps covenant, the God of deliverance, the God of salvation, the God of redemption, the God who takes those who believe in Him out of slavery and into a new land. Amen? And despite apparent setbacks, and despite having uncertain servants, God is still God. His promises and His power ensure that His plans are always accomplished. Amen? That We don't have to, to wonder, well, let's see here. I know God made me promises. And I know He has some power. Wonder if this is going to happen. No. When we know that He is the Lord, we know that because of His plans and purposes and power, that everything is going to be accomplished just as He said. That He is the God who saves. That we worship the God who is the covenant keeper and the redeemer. And God is Yahweh. He is the God who reveals Himself most fully as the God of redemption when Jesus, whose name means literally Yahweh, saves. And save He does. He saves Israel from Egypt. He saves us from a worse slavery to sin and to death and to hell. And from our perspective, there can sometimes be events that come to our, into our lives that look a whole lot like setbacks. Just like Moses. He comes to God, having spoken to Pharaoh, having spoken to the people, and they are neither one on board for following Moses and God out of Egypt. And it looks, and you can experience the same thing in your life a lot of times where you go, you know, God, that didn't really go according to plan. I had a different idea on how this was all going to come together, and it blew up instead. But we know that He is the Lord. And therefore, we don't need to be discouraged and depressed and disappointed with God. We need to trust Him. Because He is Yahweh, the God who saves. He is the God who keeps His promises. And His power ensures that no matter what, His plans are going to be accomplished. And he's, his plans, more, uh, more, on, more importantly, are always for His glory and our good. So we don't need to be, to be worried that somehow it's not going to come out okay for us. In fact, more than okay, it's going to come out glorious for us. And His purposes and His plans are all done so that people who don't know Him yet would see His greatness and goodness and glory and worship Him just like some of the Egyptians came to see and to do. And you know what else? Sometimes, like Moses, 
We are uncertain servants at best. On our best day, we are not that holy. We are not that faithful. Not that obedient. Don't always follow like we should. And we get tempted to pull out old excuses for not doing God's will. But here's the thing. Just like Moses, just like God had made Moses like God to Pharaoh, God has made you and me like God all of the new all of the non-Christians that we know. We've talked a lot about 2018 and 20 by 2018 and we'll beat the drum for that for the next 5 years. But here's the reality. The reality of it is is that you are sent just like Moses as an ambassador of God to people who do not know him. And you are like God to them. Especially if they know that you are a Christian, if you have gone on record. And if you have not yet in your relationships with people you know that are non-Christians, go on record quickly. It makes it so much easier to bring Jesus up later if you've brought him up before. And you are like God to them. And, and our job is to represent Jesus to them to the best of our spirit-filled Jesus imitating God the Father worshiping and obeying ability. And you know what? Sometimes we aren't that skilled. Like Moses, we may feel like, man, I got thick lips. Can't talk. I don't know how to do this. I'm not that talented. And the reality of it is, is it doesn't matter what our talents, what our abilities, what our skill set is. That God has chosen you and he has chosen me to be his representative. Because we are not the main actors in that drama either. God is. And he is using you as his supporting actor to carry the gospel and the representation of Jesus to them. But he is the one who is doing the acting and the saving and the uh, presentation of the message to them. And so it's not that you have to be this magnificent servant of God. It's that we serve a God who is magnificent and he uses uncertain servants like you and me to get that across. And so all we have to do is to trust him to accomplish his will through us that he might be glorified and known and that all the world might know that he is the Lord. Now next week, we're going to get into the plagues. And that'll be fun. You've got to be here next week. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are Yahweh. You are the saving, redeeming, delivering, rescuing, covenant God who loves us. And who has always loved and demonstrated your redemptive power for your people throughout all time. And Father, we pray that though we are not always faithful, not always skillful, not always talented, not always even obedient, 
Father, that we would trust you to accomplish your will through us, that the whole world might know that you are the Lord and that you are bringing yourself glory and good to your people throughout all times and all places. We pray in Jesus' name.